Hey, James, I got a phone call for you. Oh, okay. How'd they get my number? I don't know. It's someone called Big D. What, 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 hold, hold, hold on, hold on. I've been on the internet long enough to know where this is going. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. To the and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James kind of, sort of, hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And it being Halloween season, in fact, it being Halloween weekend when this podcast releases, we are continuing our look at some of the more unusual monster-themed cartoons to crop up on Saturday mornings. And boy, do we have one today from our good friends at Hanna-Barbera, their Australian division at that. Oh, that's a sign of quality, he said sarcastically. We're going to watch the Drac Pack. Yeah, and and despite being short for Dracula, it's spelled Drac with a K, not a C, as I kept having to remind myself as I typed my notes. Because, you know, illiteracy is cool. Yeah. So we're looking roughly at 1980 here, and it was time to catch a new generation of kids with a monster-themed cartoon, since the Groovy Ghoulies were, mercifully, little more than a distant memory, save for a few syndicated markets. Boy, that's not a cartoon. Oh, we're going to do that next year, aren't we? (laughs) Um, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe next year we look at Ah Real Monsters, and maybe something else, maybe Gravedale High. I do have episodes of Gravedale High. That's a mm, that's a show. <laughs> also by Hanna Barbera. Yeah, <laughs> with Rick Moranis for some reason, yep. and Tim Curry. Yeah, that was what I like to call the SCTV era of Saturday Morning. Because not only did Rick Moranis get cartoons, but so did John Candy and Martin Short. All that same year. Oh, Camp Candy's bad. <laughs> that was from our good friends at. Deke. But we're, we're talking around the point. The 80s wasn't exactly the best era for Hanna-Barbera. They kind of felt lost and not sure what to do a lot of times because, like, the Scooby-Doo formula has come and gone, and they were trying to find the next good thing. And to be quite honest, when you think of Hanna-Barbera in the 80s, it's hard to think of many cartoons other than, like, maybe the Snorks as being a success. Well... There's the Smurfs. I mean, oh, snap. I meant to say the Smurfs, not the Snorks. Well, the Snorks were a minor success. Yeah, but the Smurfs was a huge success. Mm-hmm. Like, the Smurfs was the only thing they released in the... I meant to say Smurfs. Smurfs was the only thing they released in the 80s that was like Scooby-Doo, close to Scooby-Doo levels of popularity. Right. Which you is know, why they tried to clone that. Yeah. See, the Snorks, the Biscuits, the Pawpaws, the Monchi Cheese. It's also worth mentioning they were able to get two seasons out of the Shirt Tales, but that that's a, a minor thing. They also got two seasons out of Pac-Man. But... Oh, yeah. But as for this show, Hanna-Barbera decided to fill the monster cartoon void with a trio of descendants of the most infamous monsters of all. Drac Jr., Frankie, and Howler. Yep. the Drac Jr. is the great-grandnephew of Dracula, and... Frankie and Howler are descendants of 
Frankenstein's monster, and the classic Wolfman, respectively. I've already got questions. What is this whole deal with, like, naming nephews Junior? Isn't Junior supposed to be reserved for, like, a son? Not not simply nephews, but great-grandnephews. They just didn't for a long time, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, you know what? Let's name this guy Dracula. Hmm. I mean, I bet Alucard's upset that he wasn't called Dracula Jr. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not like this is the only show that does this. Oh, okay, it's not great-grandnephew and others, but there's a lot where they do nephews that they do Jr. for, too. See, James Bond Jr. Mm-hmm. It's like, isn't Jr. a son, not a nephew? <clears throat> Lord knows James Bond had plenty of opportunities to have a son. He's probably got millions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not to mention, how do you get a descendant of the Frankenstein monster? Well, to quote young Frankenstein, woof. I mean, the, the only one that I, I guess I have no questions about is descendant of the woof, man. It's like, sure, why not? That, that one, I have no questions about. Also, well, vampires and their ability to have kids is questionable to begin with because different lores suggest different things. Some are like, yeah, that's fine. And then some are like, no, they're impotent. But I mean, since they're going for the universe, well, no, because that doesn't work either. Because in the universal movie, Son of Dracula, it's real revealed that Alucard actually is Dracula, not the son oh. of Dracula. But, you know, that's getting into off topic. Well, for Halloween, it's on topic. Well, if we go through, if we go for uh Castlevania lore than Alucard is Dracula's son, so. Right. And I think I prefer that lore for the most part anyway. So, together as the Drac Pack, this trio works under the advisement of a repentant Dracula, a.k.a. Big D. Oh, dear. Big D? <sighs> well, I guess that takes, I guess that qual- that takes care of any questions I have about Vampires being impotent. <laughs> we are so mature. Interesting note, though. Uh, Big D was also the name of the big boss, for lack of better words, in uh, The Impossibles as well. Oh, okay. Which, uh, when I did a cartoon catastrophe video on that and made jokes about Big D, because, you know, you can't not. Not these days. Someone got, I think, got pissy in the comments and said something about, it didn't mean big dick. It was from the, like, 60s, so it probably meant big daddy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's so much better. Hmm. <laughs> in Drac Jr.'s case, if he's calling his great-grand-uncle big daddy, I, I got issues. <laughs> I got problems, sir. So our Drac pack are set up against Ogre. The Organization for Generally Rotten Enterprises, uh, or Endeavors. The show isn't terribly consistent on this. That's going to be a reoccurring problem, in fact. I love Hanna-Barbera, but consistency isn't one of their strong points. Also, can I get one more big D comment? Sure. Well, one, I find it funny that in the intro, they like, calls himself Big D, yet every time they call him Big D, he's like, I'm not, don't call me that. But... Does this mean that Dracula has big D energy? Oh, is there any his luck with his casket? I doubt it. Had to get that joke out of the way. All right, sorry. Now, an ogre plot typically goes like this. Dr. Dredd, who 
I suppose is a mad scientist sort. He comes up with a crazy scheme, aided and abetted by the very literally named henchmen Toad, Fly, Mummy Man, and Vampira. Vampira is not to be confused with the B-movie horror shantus known for Plan 9 from Outer Space. No, but I wouldn't be surprised if she was the inspiration for her design. Right. The Drac Pack work to thwart this scheme, and at some point, Dr. Dredd will call Drac Jr. for a secret meeting. Hilarity somewhat ensues, as the scheme is inevitably thwarted. And the Drac Pack have human versions, are in their human versions until they do the Drac Pack whack. That's corny, even by Hanna-Barbera standards of this era, folks. Where they all slap hands and and turn into their monster forms, which, seeing as Dr. Dredd knows both their forms, it honestly makes you wonder why they even bother and why not they why don't they just stay in their monster forms. I mean, uh, there could be any number of good explanations for this, but do we get them? No. Also, I, I find it really upsetting that these children are whacking in public. That's <sighs> disgraceful. No kidding. Now, even by 1980s running out of ideas Hanna-Barbera standards, this all feels so very rote. <laughs> and I wonder if the writers were more interested in Dr. Dredd than the heroes, since nearly every episode in the 16-episode run is named after him. Though he not is. the two we're looking at today. He is the best character, let's be honest. <laughs> mm. It helps that he's voiced by Disney's Captain Freaking Hook himself, Hans Conried, who's also who's known as Snidely Whiplash in the Dudley Do-Right cartoons. There you go. He's great. He is so, he is so hemming it up in this, and he just seems like he's having a lot of fun. Yeah, he's, he definitely has aged very gracefully because this is the later stage of his career, and he, he hasn't lost a step. No, he's still 100%. Uh, that, it's very impressive. Shall we mention some of the other voice actors in this show? Absolutely. Let's start with Drac Jr. Who's Jerry Dexter, who I know best as Alan M. from uh, Josie and the Pussycats. And Chuck and Shazan. Which I reviewed not too terribly long ago. Plus, he'd do other Hanna-Barbera roles up until the end of the 1980s. He's a good voice actor. In this, he feels like he's channeling the heck out of Don Adams. Yeah, is especially when he goes on about the old this or that trick. Yeah, or uh, or just like I was just about to suggest that he, he even sounds like he's doing his voice a bit more nasally and kind of adding a bit of the Don Adams flair to it, though it's still obviously his voice. And joining him on the Drac Pack uh, is William Calloway performing both Frankie and Howler. You'd know William as Clumsy Smurf. Professor Keenbean, Square Bear of the Hair Bear Bunch, and Aquaman in the Super Friends. I'm going to give this guy some major credit for range in this show because I literally thought Frankie and Howler were done by two different voice actors before researching this. Because mm -hmm. Howler sounds a lot like a voice that Barry Gordon would do. Uh, he's best known probably as Donatello in Ninja Turtles or uh, Junior Wetworth in the Snorks. Or, for that matter, one of the SWAT cats. Yeah. But, I mean, when I heard the Heller voice, it, it literally made me think of, like, Junior Wetworth a lot. And I was surprised to see that it wasn't him, because it's it's such a drastic difference from Frankie's voice. Yeah. And Frankie is very much a reiteration of the Square Bear voice. It, to, to such an extent, I was expecting him to 
Star Wizard for Hair Bear Sandwich. <laughs> That's a good invitation, by the way. Thank you. To his credit, that voice is a really good voice. It's mm-hmm. It has a lot of great character to it. And speaking of voices with great character, Dracula himself is our old friend, Alan Oppenheimer. Uh, <laughs> Yep, he's we've seen him before. He's best known for his work in Masters of the Universe franchise as Skeletor and Man at Arms, amongst others. But his career has seen him do all manner of voices, even for soap operas. I do like his voice with his work with Filmation a lot. Like he's so good at being villains for them. Like he's uh, primeval in the uh, fake Ghostbuster cartoon. He's a uh, I guess technically I shouldn't call that fake, but anyways. <laughs> he was also uh, Oil Can Harry on the Filmation version of Mighty Mouse. He's also Ming the Merciless in the Filmation version of Flash Gordon, which is surprisingly really good. Mm. And he's done, you know, as here, he's done stuff for other places like Hanna-Barbera. He's also done work for uh, Marvel because he was in Transformers. He's both uh, Warpath and Sea Sprite. And Beachcomber. Oh, thank you. I knew I was missing one. Which, by the way, you can tell Sea Spray because Sea Spray is just his merman voice. Mm. There's another character from Masters of the Universe that he plays. Yep. And speaking of familiar voices, we've got Don Messick in this cartoon, portraying the henchmen Toad and Fly. Don, of course, is, is known as Scooby-Doo, Boo-Boo Bear, Muttley, Hampton J. Pig on Tiny Toons, and the other snickering dog types of Hanna-Barbera lore. Not to mention uh, Dr. Benton Quest and Johnny Quest. That too. And Ranger Smith, and, uh, well, he, if there's a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, Don Messick's in there. Even if it's an incidental character, he will be in there. Absolutely. I absolutely love Don Messick. He is, like, my favorite voice actor ever, because whenever I just hear the voices he does, it, it, it gives me a childhood feel, because I think I watched so many old cartoons when I was a kid, because they had rerun on various channels. His voice just, I don't know, it just... It makes me happy just to hear him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was also, since we mentioned Transformers earlier, he was also Ratchet and Gears in Transformers. Okay. And speaking of alumni of uh, Marvel slash Sunbow Productions, we've got Chuck McCann lending his pipes to Mummy Man. I actually know him best as Duckworth in uh, DuckTales. And not to mention Burger Beagle, which is a high-pitched voice, which is very far from Mummy Man. <laughs> Uh, Chuck McCain's also in, uh, he's also in the Pac-Man cartoon. I think he's Pinky, if I remember right. He's two of the ghosts. Oh yeah, he's Blinky. Blinky also. Yep. Which Blinky's kind of an alteration of his uh, burger voice. And he'd also be prominent as Leatherneck in G.I. Joe and all three Amoeba Boys in the Powerpuff Girls cartoons. He's a, he's a really good voice actor. Yeah, quite versatile. And the sole female of our cast is Julia McWhorter as Vampira. She's a Hanna-Barbera regular, best known for performing Genie in the cartoon of the same name, Bubbles in Jabberjaw, and Baby Smurf and Sasset Smurf in, well, what else? The Smurfs. So, literally, she's the only good part of Jabberjaw, then. <laughs> and, by the way, I want to mention uh, Vampira's uh, design. I'm used to Hanna-Barbera females being portrayed as thin, but, dag nabbit, Vampira's practically a javelin! <laughs> She, she, they, they kind of give her hips, but it's like very bony, angular hips. I mean, I, they, they made her very skinny. Yeah, give that girl a sandwich. I get that she's a vampire and she's supposed to be gaunt, but come on. I do like her shape-shifting power she has in this, though I don't think that... 
I mean, vampires have some shape-shifting powers, but I think they're far more limited than what she does. I mean, isn't that usually, like... I think vampires, arguably, depending on, you know, what lore you're looking to, it's usually just bats and sometimes wolves, but she's, like, spiders, snakes, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. Not to mention mist. Yep. Though, uh, to her credit, I or to the credit of the designers of this show, I... For someone who actually doesn't like snakes, I actually think her snake design looks really cool. Okay. It's just a case where she's a snake, but you can tell it's her because of just how they designed it. It's just really good design. Props for props for do. Now, as for the rest of the creative team, while Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera are the executive producers, of course, the team is headed up by director Chris Cuddington at Hanna-Barbera's Australian outfit. These guys are notorious. To the credit of this show, the animation on it is not the worst I've seen from Hanna-Barbera by far, I will say that. Well, Cuttington's other credits include Clue, Cub, uh, Clue Club, Quickie Koala, and the all-new Popeye Hour. You know, that's not entirely terrible. No, <laughs> no it's definitely the higher end of the Australian group's output. Didn't they also do, like, a uh, Berenstain Bear cartoon in, like, the 80s? I think so. Because I remember there was a weird Hanna-Barbera, like, I think I think they were the ones who did it, because I think I looked it up once, and it was, like, Southern Star, which is, like, their Australian division. There was a weird Berenstain Bear cartoon in, that I remember seeing in my childhood that I thought was weird, because they kind of tend to uh, play Papa Bear like a borderline villain, <laughs> like, cartoon villain in it, and it was Ooh. just like... It's like, what the heck? Because <laughs> it was always like he was starting some mischief, and or he would always think he knew what was going on, and he didn't. They kind of just make him into a moron. And I was just like, what the heck? <laughs> Meanwhile, the writing team includes such names as Douglas Allen Booth, who acted as head writer for the 1989 G.I. Joe relaunch, and the second season of Street Sharks, among his numerous writing credits. Lars Bourne who has done other assorted work for Hanna-Barbera, but is best known for creating Deputy Dog for Terry Tunes. Nice. And Glenn Leopold, who was the head writer for Smurfs, SWAT Cats, and The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest. And he also wrote the movie that launched the modern era of Scooby-Doo, Zombie Island. Nice. Yeah. Funny about those connections, because uh, if I remember right, Zombie Island was originally meant to be a SWAT Cat episode that they kind of repurposed into a Scooby-Doo movie oh interesting that's why it has that big cat theme supposedly okay but uh deputy dog nice a friend of mine charles brubaker or i just usually refer to him as baker uh who does the webcomic fuzzy princess he's Uh a big fan of deputy dog he's even he's gone to the point that he's actually collected some of the actual original or close to original film reels of like deputy dog episodes neat when we do that show we'll have to have him on That would be cool. Yeah. But that's all the notes I had for uh, the production and crew for this show. So shall we go into our first episode? Let's do it. Episode one. Let's pack whack. Wacko. Ow. You wackoed me across the head. Sorry. So episode 101, the grimmest book of world records. What kind of world record? (laughs) Grimmest world. Yeah. I know it's a pun on the Guinness Book of World Records, but wow. So instead of happening halfway through the show, the meeting between Drac Jr. and Dr. Dredd opens the episode 
on a deserted island. With a surprise visit by Dr. Dredd and a mechanical shark. Yep. The, the same one we see in the show's intro. It arrives and bites D- Drac Jr. and his motorboat up. Dr. Dredd pops up with Drac Jr. And Drac complains about the old trick, meaning he's sunk to a new low. Ha 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 ha. Like these buns, get used yeah. to them. <laughs> Sunset Slade, we apologize in advance. Yeah, our, fun, our friend Sunset hates puns, mm-hmm. which usually just encourages us to say more. But Dredd takes that as a compliment, and then Toad pops up wanting to tell Drac Jr. the big idea. Can I? Can I, Dr. Dredd? Can I? Yeah, Toad is a higher-pitched Peter Lorre impression, by the way. Yep. Because, you know, if you want somebody who's small and creepy, that seems to be the go-to voice. Mm-hmm. Ever since Mel Blanc did it, like in Looney Tunes. So, Dr. Dredd wants to break the Grimmest Record Books record for most major crimes in a three-hour period, starting at noon that day, and he openly challenges the Drac Pack to stop him. It's like, he just likes being a shit to them. (laughs) Seems that way. So Drac Jr. accepts and demands his boat back, and he gets it as chewed up sawdust. Well, you know, for a villain, that's... That's actually a pretty good idea. (laughs) you know he didn't lie no but now the show makes a massive leap in logic drac jr opens a panel in the lone palm tree on the island revealing a motor he pulls the string on to make the island into a helicopter-like craft but if this is where dread wanted to meet drac jr then no no james don't apply logic to this cartoon you're just gonna tie yourself up in knots Deuce Ex Machina, or Machina, uh, sorry. Deuce Ex Machina. Deuce, Deuce Ex Motorboatia. <laughs> so returning to headquarters, Drac Jr. is about to inform Frankie and Howler of the goings-on, but they already know the bad news since Dredd's announced it on television. The good news? Dredd says it himself on TV too, because the crime wave begins in five minutes. And Big D is not happy. Don't call me Big D! I'm Dracula! I'm your great uncle, Dracula! <laughs> yep, Dracula has heard, which the pack realizes as a batagram crashes into their den. With Contact Dracula written on its wings, Drac Jr. calls it the Kamikaze Bat, and said Bat quips that Big D is mad. They had to say Kamikaze Bat, didn't they? Yeah. Not, not great. I would have just gone with Klutz Bat. <sighs> Anyway, <laughs> yeah. With a button press, the den becomes a high-tech headquarters with all the uh, modern by 80s standards trimmings. Do you think this is where they got the idea for doing this in uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends? Possibly. Or they're just ripping off the little devices in the Hair Bear Bunch. There you go. Well, you know, they got Square Bear, so... <laughs> it's, it's not ripping off if it's something you did yourself originally. Uh, you, you know, sometimes I think Hanna-Barbera manages to argue that point because, man, they made a lot of Scooby-Doo ripoffs. Mm. Anyhow, Drac directs the pack's attention to London, where the crime wave is supposed to begin. And it's there we find Dredd's dredgeable approaching Big Ben. Dredgeable. Yep, more puns. 
Uh, I'm glad I haven't turned puns into a drinking game. We'd lose our livers. <laughs> well, you know, it's time for puns. So, Mummy Man apparently asks if he can drop down yet, but Dread insists on not cheating on the challenge, presumably because it'll disqualify him from the record. I'll give him this much. He may be evil, but he has standards. <laughs> it is amazing that, you know, he's willing not to cheat. But again, I, I think it's just a case that he knows it wouldn't have disqualified him. He would totally d- done it. So Yeah. And, you know, the point of this isn't the, necessarily the crime. It's the notoriety. And, you know, just making a fool out of the drag pack. That too. And as Big Ben finishes chiming, it's 12 o'clock on the dot. And Mummy Man is dispatched to very handily and easily swipe the clock face from the tower. Far simpler than it should probably have been in real life, but this is another roll with it moment, folks. <laughs> Seemingly uh, not much. Uh, you, you'd think like a world monument like Big Ben would have better like security. Uh, to be sure. But back with Dracula, he's ashamed and will stay that way until Dread is stopped. And he closes his casket on his fingers as he signs off. Man, this guy's got worse problems with his coffin than Quackula. Uh, another Halloweenish cartoon I think we might be better off saving for much later. Yeah, I, I don't like that cartoon, but it's better than Darkstalkers. Yeah. <laughs> so the trio agrees to get moving before Drac gets madder and cue transformation sequence. Because they got a whack. Mm-hmm. Drack whack. Wacko! And in the dragster, which is of course a pun on dragster, they're contemplating how to find the dredgeable, settling on Radier to pick up the sound of Big Ben's chimes. Now, Radier is exactly what it says on the tin. A radar ear. And it picks up Big Ben from, oh, how many miles away, Vegeta? It's over 9,000! But, 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 wait, no, 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 I, I can't stop ignoring the leaps of logic anymore. The chimes are not connected to the clock face, they're in the tower! <sighs> you, you're you're going to have a towering level of frustration if you keep this up. Well, I, I just had to let that one out. It, it, if you didn't say it, I was going to, so, I mean, but I let you chime in on it instead. Oh, well... Don't ask for whom the the pun tolls. It tolls for us. Yeah, clock in at how many now? (laughs) Like clockwork, they're coming. Maybe we should continue before we run out of time-based puns. Yeah. I mean, we are just killing time at this point. Yeah, we can always come back for seconds. (laughs) Anyhow, Dreads in the Atlantic on the Dread Quarters or Ogre Island. Or Dreadnought. It's not kept consistent. To their credit, I do like Dreadquarters. I think that's actually... That's a pun I can respect. That is a good one. And as Dread gloats, Vampira and Toad want to know what's next. It turns out, Dread is waiting for the Drac Pack as part of his plan. And when the Drac Pack arrive via the front door, Toad seals them in, and Drac Jr. says he expected a trap. Would you believe... (laughs) And Fly says it's a fly trap as he drops a net on Frankie. Ha 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 ha. 
Cue the wacky hijink chase. And demonstrating powers of the various members of the cast, it ends with the pack captured. Pemmy, any highlights in this sequence for you? I'm blanking out, so... Okay. Uh, I, I remember the escape more than this scene for some reason, but yeah. I, I do find it amazing that with someone as much power as Frankie can't seem to get out of a net. Hmm. Then again, that just seems to be a cartoon thing. That's like, anytime someone gets into a net, they seem to be freaking helpless. No wonder Freddie Jones admires nets so much. <laughs> Dang it. Now I'm just having a flashback to one of my favorite scenes from Mystery Incorporated. <laughs> where, like, uh, a friend and Daphne are watching this. Uh, the school is doing a female, like, volleyball. And he's, and Fred's just looking at it. He's like, they're beautiful. And Daphne's, like, all offended. It's like, the girls? And he's like, no! The Nets! It's like, I wonder what tinsel strength they are. Nylon! Absolutely nylon! Great for traps! So, we might end up with Drac bottled up and Howler trapped in a lethal laser cage. Demonstrated by Toad kicking an office chair into it. I, I will have to say that bottling up Drac is actually a pretty good, uh, pretty good trap. Mummy Man complains that the restrained Frankie is as strong as a horse... And that's exactly why Dread wants to take him with them. Oh, boy. <laughs> They're not horsing around with this. Nope. And I'm not going to start another chain of puns. <laughs> After asserting his authority pointlessly by insisting he be the one to say let's go, the Ogre Gang leaves with Frankie. Drac Jr. and Howler ponder how to escape as we have a scene transition via a red curtain effect that's honestly pretty cool. And surprisingly, really well animated, which mm -hmm. I guess they put money into it because they use it a lot. But it looks snazzy as far as uh, that's one thing I actually miss from uh, older cartoons. They don't do these in modern cartoons. They don't do the whole screen transition thing anymore. No. Kind of cut to them. And I kind of miss that because I think I always thought these screen transitions would look actually looked really cool when shows would do them. Mm hmm. So on the dredgeable, Frankie is still being held by Mummy Man as they approach a commercial break. After these messages, yeah. we'll be right back. Oof. Seriously, they're headed to a horse race featuring the most valuable triple crown winning horse in the world, Lightning Lady. Can I like mention that I have one major problem with this already? Yeah. Explain to me, because they, they say that the horse, kidnapping, stealing this horse is a bigger crime than Big Ben. Excuse me? <sighs> stealing a freaking racehorse is more valuable than a priceless monument like Big Ben? Sure, Dr. Dredd. Sure. I don't know what world this cartoon is in, but... This world's got a gambling problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyhow, the Dredgeables sucks up the horse and jockey and eventually sends only the jockey back astride Frankie. Who seemingly, in order to run like a horse, is the animators have had to shorten his arms and legs and it looks kind of wonky. <laughs> but Now, there's a couple other side notes on this scene. Uh, first, dig this jockey's voice. Now, second, production audio issue, Mummy Man's voice can hardly be heard over the music score as he's asking whether he can drop Frankie down. Oh. 
But anyhow, Frankie has no choice but to comply with the scheme, else he and the jockey will get crushed by the other horses in the race. It's a fair point. It's a fair point, and it's at least the applied logic to why he's doing that. So I, I gotta credit them for that at least. But man, that's embarrassing for poor Frankie. Yeah. To be frank. Back at the dread quarters, Howler has a plan. He's going to super breath a chair into the computer control panel, disabling the laser cage. Drac Jr. claims he was just about to suggest that. Admittedly, that's still more humble than a glad-I-thought-of-it sentiment. (laughs) Though that's also a pretty regular character trait for Drac. It also gives us a chance to uh, show off one of Howler's other powers, which is that he can do the big bad wolf breath thing. Mm -hmm. And once Drac Jr. is set loose, they check Dread's activity, and in a conversation with a newscaster, which should be impossible, but what the hey, it's a good gag, they find Frankie has being accused of being in cahoots with Dread. Oh, poor Frankie. Yeah. And Big D blows his top, for lack of better words. Oh. And he's angrily wondering what the pack are doing with themselves. Well, they were too busy whacking. Oh, no, Dread's gloating evermore on the dredgeable, and also scolding Toad for trying to spoil his fun. And this brings up something interesting. Whenever Dr. Dredd wants to scold Toad, he gets out a fly swatter. Wouldn't that be more appropriate to use on Fly himself? I wonder if... Makes me wonder if the idea was... uh, Originally, Fly was going to be in Toad's position and they changed that. Hmm. Or or maybe it's just a... Also, fly swatters, I think, had a random popularity in the late 70s, early 80s. So maybe they just thought it was funny reference. Who knows? Anyhow, off they go to scheme number three while the pack escapes, which Dread wants. He loves setting stuff up, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He's good at it. Meanwhile, the Drac Pack face the music back at headquarters and find out they're facing it quite literally because Dracula's so mad he's playing the funeral march on a violin, which he quickly breaks. Doesn't he make a comment about getting hungry, too? Whatever the case, he won't let the Drac Pack get a word in edgewise, and the pack is back on the hunt. You know, I'm just going to say, if there's anyone I don't want to be around when they're hungry, it's Count Dracula. Hmm. There, There is one question, big question I have about this show. Does Dracula and Drac Jr. just not drink blood anymore? We'll get to that in a bit, actually. So oh, yeah. back at the Dracster... Frankie thinks the next scheme is music-related, since the ogre crew referred to High C. And Drac Jr. quickly figures they actually meant the High Cs. That is quite a jump on logic. Mm, Not as bad as some of the ones I've seen on Super Friends. Yeah. And a show that also has a really good uh, transition animation. Mm. Sure enough, Dread is trying to to pick something, and settles on an iceberg. Meanwhile, the pack use the dark Draxter's computer to isolate the most valuable thing they can think of on the seas, the SS Oiler, with 350 barrels of crude oil. It's a crude scheme. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty slick! Yep. And they're right, too. And that iceberg that Dredd picked out is being projected onto a fog bank to trick the Oiler's crew. Old storytelling habits die hard, eh, Pemmy? 
And at least yeah. this is projected on fog, which is slightly better than thin air. Yeah, the whole Scooby-Doo projectors can do damn near anything <laughs> logic. It's like, they played this footage across the clouds in the sky. It doesn't work that way, guys. Nope. <laughs> so the Drac Pack closes in and quickly descends underwater to follow them back to Dread Quarters. And Dread is fully aware they're being pursued. Here come the if they knew, I knew jokes. <laughs> it's like, I knew that you knew that I knew. <laughs> so with the Drac Pack trapped again, Dread gloats some more, and Drac Jr. decides to shoot the team through torpedo tubes. Safe for himself, since he can fly. Poor Frankie gets right through a freaking what, still wall? Yeah. Well, Howler would have just gone splat against it. I guess we can say that uh, Drek has some good aim mm -hmm. for torpedoes. So Dr. Dredd is about to broadcast his success, but D, Drak Jr. and Howler set up a makeup gag and cue our second action sequence. <laughs> Just hear the Benny Hill theme going through for this. <laughs> mm -hmm. The thing I remember most is at one point Frankie gets thrown and he grabs onto like the side of the tanker and actually rips it to stop himself and says that tears it mm -hmm. anyhow we'd go over it blow by blow but we'd be here all day in the end the clock face and lady lightning the horse are loaded onto the tanker which the pack used to return them before returning the tanker itself dracula congratulates the pack while dread goes for a different record world's longest ocean swim to which toad actually thinks is funny and seemingly drowns. <laughs> bad toad! Bad toad! Yeah, you hear that a lot. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think about the track pack? Oh, it's, uh... Oh, I think I need at least one more episode to give a final judgment on it, and we'll do that right after this break. We'll return after these messages. On the next Pemmy and James podcast... Come on, if you're listening to a podcast about old cartoons, you recognize this music. We're looking at the show that started a sensation for Hanna-Barbera in 1969 on CBS, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Often imitated, often parodied, but having stood the test of time, Scooby, Shaggy, Velma, Fred and Daphne have been solving mysteries and eating a small nation's economy worth of Scooby snacks for over 50 years. We unmask their origins in two weeks. So, we are now off into the next episode, number 103 in the uh, labeling order, International Graffiti, which is, of course, a pun on national graffiti. Hey, we've done two Hanna-Barbera shows that had graffiti as a plot. Mm-hmm. This is less painterly. Yeah, and more sculpturly, but we'll get there. We open at Dracula's pad, where his pet spider is trying to shut up a bat-themed cuckoo clock to no avail. Drac gets a little hungry and wants a midnight snack, which I'm going to say I actually think this gag is funny. <laughs> yep. On his creep around the crypt, he finds in the refrigerator nothing but plasma. Basically diet blood. <laughs> the fact that he's like, ah, not these diet drinks or whatever he said. I, I got a laugh out of that. That was yeah. actually funny. Uh, we're not even a minute in, and this already feels like a much stronger episode than the first one. 
Let's right. see if that lasts. The uh, animation on Dracula in this whole scene is really good, too. Mm-hmm. For, he's, like, moving and reacting a lot. It actually looks really polished, surprisingly. Yeah. So he's waxing nostalgic for his old home, the only remnant of it being his gargoyles, which suddenly turn into the comically evil visage of Dr. Dread. How dreadful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Drac tries to summon the pack, but then remembers they're on vacation at Easter Island, where we see them landing to check out the Moai heads. Now, this predates Gradius, so they're probably safe. You can't not make a Gradius reference when you see Moai heads. I mean, what other option do you have? Mm. Uh, I'm going to have to shield myself from that pun. (laughs) I don't have enough lives from the Konami code. Just laser point accuracy. All right. (laughs) So we're about to get exposition on why it's named Easter Island when Dr. Dredd's voice rings out with a welcome and he begins turning the Moai into his grim grimace. But but we never find out. Why is it called Easter Island? Oh, we got Wikipedia for that. That's true. Drac Jr. thinks this is another dumb meeting, but Dredd explains he's out to turn every famous statue to his likeness via the Facemaker. Nice little pun on Pacemaker. Toad demonstrates by scanning Dread's face, then the Maker takes that scan and reshapes another Moai into a Dread head. Hey, let's give Dr. Dread some props. He created the 3D printer like 30 years early. No kidding. Drac Jr. protests and, come on, Pack, let's whack! If it hasn't become obvious by our references to it, that has not aged well. No, I mean, man, these kids just whacking in public. I know I've already made that joke, but I can't. It, it, I mean, it's all just so very whack. And not wickety <laughs> whack, just regular kind. It, it's also, I don't remember if we mentioned this last time, but they go through a whole transformation animation when they do this. And there's a reason why i am got to mention that, as we'll see later. Yeah, we only saw that transformation animation once in that first episode. But here, who baby. They were doing magical girl transformations before Sailor Moon. And he, superhero transformations before He-Man. Uh, so, they, they, they probably were beaten by uh, Shazam, though. True. Anyhow, post-transformation, Howler blows the dredgeable off course, and we get another gag-filled action sequence with Ogre trying to keep the pack away from the facemaker. Dread eventually gets away, and the vacation is off. Yeah, like, Vampira turns into a spider and makes a spider web, which... Drac get in bat form gets stuck in, and instead of turning into mist, since he can do that, he yeah. instead like lets Frankie try to pull him loose, and he instead flings him into himself to where he's like, "Thanks, I needed that." I think. Yeah, that spider web is is almost as strong as Spider Man's. Well, I can do what a spider can. Mm. I can't in this case. So after the escape, Howler scrambles to the dredgeable and is spotted by Toad, and Dread wants him to hear the next plan so the pack can be led to the next trap. Actually, can we pause this for one second? I just want to mention that uh, back in the earlier little fight scene, Howler used his super breath to literally push the dredgeable away for a bit. I mean... Yeah, yeah I mentioned that crap. earlier. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Uh, holy crap, what kind of fucking... I mean, sorry. Holy crap, what kind of freaking breath does he have to be able to do that? Mm. I just hope he wasn't eating onions. 
or garlic. Especially around Drac Jr. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, Superman would probably be pretty impressed. Mm-hmm. Dang. And I thought I had super breath. So Howler scrambles up to the dredgeable and is spotted by Toad, and Dredd wants him to hear the next plan so the pack can lead him to the next trap. Now I'm starting to notice a formula. I, I do want to say that thanks to Dredd's voice actor, this scene that is a very dumb and predictable joke was still pretty funny, where he was just like, he says, so we're going to the great, the pyramids of great, and... Like, Heller's like, what do you say? And he, like, leans over. He's like, we're going to the pyramids. <laughs> yeah, the next destination is indeed the Great Pyramid of... Either they're mispronouncing Giza, or I've been mispronouncing it my whole life. Uh, considering the time period, and you couldn't look things up as easily now as you did back then, both are probably right. <laughs> hmm. A smokescreen sends Howler descending, and he re- reunites with the pack to inform them. And is completely unaware that Dr. Dredd is aware of him knowing, because despite how obvious it was. <laughs> also, we get a couple wet dog jokes. Because of course. Once in Egypt, Ogre is eager to get at the pyramid power, and Mummy oh. Man prepares the trap for the pack, who are arriving via the Nile. Well, at least they're not in denial. Hmm. The pack are back in human form, and they spot Ogre atop the pyramid. But it's a hologram, and they fall into the open top. It actually takes Frankie a bit to realize what's happening, and Dredd sends them further down to Mummy Man and his relatives. Which, I, I, I still don't get. Why do they turn back to their human forms? Why? Why? There's no benefits to being in their human forms. I mean, it's not like they're trying to blend in with the civilians at this very moment. I, I, I want to know why. They, they, they're still fighting him. They could have stayed in their monster forms this whole time. Mm-hmm. So the, the trio splits up to Frankie's discomfort, and Mummy Man begins his assault, capturing the big lug. And Meanwhile, Howler and Drac Jr. has a Scooby-Doo run-around situation, complete yep. with the Scooby-Doo doors. Yep, this is pegged egged on by Howler being pursued by a sarcophagi with feet sticking out from the bottoms. Because why not? Well, <laughs> it's at least a different visual to distinguish them from Mummy Man himself. I, I mean, I guess there's something afoot there. The duo thinks they spot Mummy Man, but it's just the wrapped up Frankie. Which is kind of funny. It's like, right, we got him, we got Mummy Man. You have? Where? <laughs> They're still trapped in the pyramid, and they come across an ancient phone booth. The fact that they don't think that there's something wrong with this is, like, to where they pass the phone back to each other. It's for you. No, it's for you. How did they get my number? But no, it's the old telephone in a pyramid trick. I can't believe they fell for this, and neither can they. (sighs) They're reeled into the pharaonic dread who has his eyes on the Sphinx next. And he's uh, dressed in Egypt garb, Mm -hmm. emperor garb. While Toad and Vampira are fanning him with palm fronds. Hey, I kind of wonder why he even bothered. Why did he just leave him down there? Mm. Well, Toad instead eagerly sends them and a pack of crocs flushed down back to the Nile. 
and the Drac Pack transform again, presumably to get as much use out of that transformation sequence as possible, and Howler's windy ways propel them away. Those poor crocodiles had to watch them whack in public. Oh. I'm getting too much out of that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's a uh, transformation animation number two. Yep. Meanwhile, Dread is applying makeup to look his best for the face transfer on the Sphinx, and Toad can't resist using it himself. Bad Toad. Bad Toad. Mm-hmm. Dread isn't amused. This particular fly swatter treatment gets even the Sphinx to retreat its head. <laughs> Which admittedly is kind of a funny gag. Mm-hmm. And alligator swamp threats ensue. Bad toad. Bad toad. Following which, the correct, incorrect face is placed on the ancient monument. How dreadful. Mm-hmm. Cue another action sequence once the pack gets to the face maker, with a highlight being Dread insisting he race to the dredgeable first ahead of Toad. <laughs> hey, that's a villain leader, 100% there. The perks of leadership. Meanwhile, Vampura and Mummy Man have to try to take care of the Drac Pack, which has some snake action, which, again, I, I still think the snake design for her is actually really good. So the action sequence eventually ends with a dredgeable created sandstorm, and Dread boasts of Mount Rushmore being his next target. Yeah, which during said sandstorm, the other the Mummy Man and Vampira get away because seemingly Howler and... Uh, Frankie just instead attacked Drac, which Drac sarcastically says, good job, except I'm on your side. Hmm. Also, I got a problem with this whole talk about Mount Rushmore. The only president they mention is Washington. And the only president who gets involved in the action is Washington. Yeah, it's like, they're like, Washington and other great presidents. I'm like, how Dare you? Do not Abraham... do that to Abraham Lincoln. Or Teddy Roosevelt. He'll, if he was alive, he'd come after you. That guy doesn't mess around. Bully! Bully! Most people, myself included, will say as far as historical president's favorite is Abraham Lincoln. But, man, I will not for a second not tell you that Theodore Roosevelt is not quite possibly our most badass president. The guy took a shot and still finished his speech. Mm-hmm. And we don't mean a shot of whiskey. Nah, he got shot. <laughs> he's just like, well, <laughs> I think if I remember right, the story is like, he's just straight up says, well, I've been shot, but it takes more than that to take down a bull moose. It just finishes his like, speech. <laughs> that is epic. So in South Dakota, we get some hijinks with Toad telling Dread to back up so he can focus the face maker, which sends Dread off a ledge. And it's here that Toad starts channeling the character who is practically our podcast's obsession, Muttley. Well, you got Don Messick there. Why not? I, yeah. I have to say the smirk that Toad makes when he when that happens is actually pretty nice looking. It's a really good smirk. Yeah. Dread asks Toad to give him a hand. Toad applause. Because of course. Yep. Again, channeling Muttley. And you know what? I'm I'm pretty okay with it in this case because with how many times Toad's gotten swatted and whatnot, it kind of felt like he deserved this moment. Yeah. So Drac Jr. is atop the mountain and contacts the others. Frankie says, they don't know I'm in the nose, and Howler is here in the ear. Ha 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 ha. 
And, and they say my rhymes are corny. Well, you know, it's like they say, well, they should have had Haller in the nose. Do you know why? Because he's a little booger. Oh, 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 dear. So, Frankie has a mirror, and with it, face-swapping hijinks ensue between Dread and Toad. Which goes into another cartoon trope of how la- that every laser and ray can just be blocked by it. A mirror, and it's like it doesn't technically work that way. But no, no mirrors might reflect light, but there's still heat behind lasers too. Yep. Anyhow, as Vampira and Mummy Man go into uh, attack mode to take on the Drac Pack, Dread and Toad switch their faces back, both saying their own faces are beautiful. Self love <laughs> is good. It is. It's actually just happy to hear that. Toad actually likes the way he looks. And also, he doesn't want to look like Dread. So, you know what? Cool. You love yourself, Toad. Barring the mustache, I wouldn't want to look like Dread either. The mustache is pretty awesome, though. Mm-hmm. If I could grow a handlebar mustache like that, I totally would. But I don't think the cartoonish level of those is actually humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Or it would take a lot of mustache grease. And a lot, and a great many years. Yep. I've seen some pictures of mustache competitions you would not believe. Oh, I've seen some of those things. They're they're crazy. But if I could freaking grow a dick dastardly, I totally would. Anywho, Mummy Man breaks Frankie's mirror. Seven years bad luck. And we get transformation sequence three for this episode. And again, why did they transform back into their human forms other than to save on animation? Now, admittedly, in this action sequence, I do like the yo-yo gags with Frankie and Mummy Man. That is actually pretty clever. Though, randomly, Mummy Man had boxers on out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) And it's probably the most animated we hear Frankie's voice. As they go around the world! (sighs) Yeah, that was a really clever gag. Like, walk the dog! And you actually see him doing that with Mummy Man was actually... that, That was a pretty cute gag. In the end... A tug-of-war between Drac Jr. and Mummy Man splits the facemaker from its tripod, with the latter puncturing the dredgeable. And it goes flying off into the sunset, because mm-hmm. Team Rocket is blasting off again. Essentially. Things wrap up quickly after that, with the pack redecorating Dracula's gargoyles into Dracula's own likeness. And Dread has left an intimate impression on his own dredgeable's hull. Which he's actually pretty fond of. Mm. More of that good old-fashioned self-love, though. To have your own face on your own ship is a crazy level of egotism. And that's the end of that episode. So I guess the question now is, is the Drac Pack worth digging up from its grave? And... There's worse cartoons you can watch. I actually like this cartoon. It's not good enough that I'd say it's worth really looking into. It's, But if you want something that's cheesy, if you like good old-fashioned, really... Because, okay, I'll describe the show in one word. Do you know what word that is? Go ahead. Hokey. Hokey. And we're not talking about Hokey Wolf here, ding-a-ling. <laughs> this show is so cheesy and so hokey. But if that's what you like, if you like some good old-fashioned cartoon cheesiness, you'll get it here. And mm-hmm. it, it is enjoyably cheesy. Um, again, not 
to a level that I'd say it's worth, you know, digging up. But if you want some good cheesy fun, then there you go. Yeah, I feel this show is a perfect cross-section for where Hanna-Barbera is now as a group of creators. The voice acting is still gloriously fun. There's a few decent ideas here on display. The animation is okay, but the plots have massive leaps in logic, and the characters aren't as memorable as as these monstrous archetypes should lend themselves to being. Yeah, really the only character that's memorable in this is Dr. Dredd himself. And mm. that's less because of his design and more just because of Hans Conrad, uh, Hans, uh, Con- Conrad, Conrad, Conrad. I'm not sure which it is. Hans Conrad though. He, he just makes it, he, he makes that character work. You know what I think would have actually improved this a bit? A fourth Drac Pack member. I, I think a female member of the team Patterned after Medusa would have been pretty cool. That'd be cool, but that's less universal monster, though. Yeah, but she would have been in the current zeitgeist of the moment with the release of uh, Clash of the Titans. That's true. Uh, they could have done a female version of the uh, of the, the uh, monster from the Black Lagoon. That too. That too. And just to change things up, instead of her being romantically interested in Drac Junior, I'd have paired her with Frankie. That would have been cool. Yeah, I mean, anything's better than one of the characters from uh, Gravedale High. I can't get over the fact they literally named a character in that Cleophatra. Oh, oh, oh. Just, mm. <laughs> but that's a, that's a, yeah, we definitely should do that one next year, I think. Yeah, yeah, that and All Real Monsters. All Real Monsters will be interesting because, to be quite honest, I don't think I ever actually watched that show. All the more reason to do so. I gave my overall impressions, and you gave some impressions, but what do you think about people? What should people look into this show? I, I think it's worth watching an episode to see if it's something you like. And if you have nostalgia for this cartoon from when you were growing up, it's probably not going to hold up. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a good way, because if you've seen one episode of this, you'll know exactly what you're getting into and exactly the type of show you're getting. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's a similar experience I had when I was binging Dastardly and Muttley and their flying machines. You know, you can tell there's a marked difference in writing quality from the first episode to this third episode we had. Yeah. I'd say that despite the insane amount of use of the transformation sequence, this episode feels a bit more solid, for lack of yeah. better words. Yeah. And it's got some more... I, I think there's a lot more good gag work overall in this episode and better animation which is surprisingly it fluctuates sometimes it feels typical and then sometimes it actually has a lot of scenes where they're just animated surprisingly well mm-hmm. or at least by 1980s Hanna-Barbera standards yeah so Pemi I got good news and bad news what's the good news the good news is we don't have to restock the breakfast cereal what's the bad news the trick-or-treaters are on their way and we need candy badly uh-oh. Time to time to go to Walmart. <laughs> yep. Folks, we'll see you next time. Oh, or in your case, Wegmans. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See ya! The Penny and James have a sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. The
preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.